So we're going to read Exodus 19, verses 1 through 12, and then Exodus 20, verses 1 through 21. Let's give our attention to God's Word. It says, On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. And then Exodus 20, 1 through 21. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off. 
while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. The grass withers, the flowers fade away, and the Bible says that uh, mankind is like the grass that withers and fades away. Uh, But the Word of God stands forever. So let me pray for us before we look at it further tonight. Heavenly Father, you You are the one true God. You have graciously given us your Word. You speak. You want us to know you. And yet, Father, you have made us and you know that we are weak because of our sin. And so we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, that you would be here and that you would cause good things to happen. That you would work in spite of my sin, in spite of all of our sin, so that we might hear your truth, so that we might hear your law and ultimately be pointed to you and your grace and your mercy. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want you to uh, imagine if you came over to my house, say, on Saturday, and I was trying to fix something which would not be a good time to actually come over to our house, because I'm not good at that, but imagine that's the scenario. Our fence is falling down. So let's say I'm, I'm you know, re- building our fence, and you show up and you say, so how's it going? And I say to you, it's going terrible. It's just going terrible because my phone is not working right at all. My phone is just, my phone's a piece of junk. I downloaded this Hammer app, and, and it just doesn't work. And I say that as I'm trying to drive a nail into my fence using my, my iPhone. Now, there are obviously lots of problems with that scene. But <laughs> arguably the biggest is that it would be very obvious to you that I don't understand what an iPhone really is and what it's for, right? I obviously would not, it would be evident that I did not get how it was designed to be used. Because I shouldn't be frustrated with my phone, right? The problem is not with the phone. The problem is with me, right? The phone is not designed to hammer a nail. It would be great for watching a YouTube video about how to build a fence, but it's bad for building a fence. And so look, as strange as that, this illustration might, might seem, I think it's actually a decent one. It shows us a little bit about how you and I tend to think about God's law. Right? I think that we can often get either frustrated with God's law, um, we can get, we could be scared of it, maybe. Uh, or we might just outright dismiss it altogether. But what I want to suggest to you is that the problem is not with God's law, but with our poor understanding of what it is and what it's designed to do, what it's for, much like with the iPhone. So this semester, if you've been with us, you know we're, we've been studying through Exodus all semester. And we are saying that Exodus is really the pattern of salvation. That how we see God save his people in Exodus uh, is really the same. It's emblematic of how he saves uh, here and now today. And so what I, want you to, what I think we see in this passage... Uh, What I want you to see is that God's salvation is pro-law. I I want us to see 
I want us to see what the law is and what it's used for. And so look, tonight might, might come across a little different than, than our typical Wednesday night because we have to kind of step back and take this sort of macro look at God's law, right? So keep that in mind. But I want to look at three things. First thing that we're going to see is that the law is good. Secondly, we'll see the law acts like a window. And thirdly, that the law acts like a mirror. I'm going to go ahead and warn you that I'm going to say sometimes mirror. Sometimes I'll say mirror with an E. And sometimes I'm just going to say mirror. So all means the same thing. All right, the first thing I want you to see is that the law is good. The law is good. Look, remember where we are in Exodus, right? We rehearse it very quickly every week. Israel was enslaved uh, in Egypt. And God comes to his people and he says, I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to make you free. And he raises up Moses and, you know, rains plagues down on the Egyptians and they let them go. Uh, he delivers them out of Egypt and then there's the whole Red Sea incident and he, they pass through the, you know, the, uh, through the Red Sea and then God dumps it back on top of the Egyptians and, and they really are free from their enemy. And then he leads them through the wilderness and provides for them. And uh, now we, uh, we have them at Mount Sinai where God first met with Moses And we have God preparing to to give his people the law. And so look, what I want you to see, sort of just, and if you don't take anything else from tonight, the main thing I want you to see is that God's law is good. It's a good thing. It comes in the context of his grace to his people. Look at verse uh, 19.4. God says to his people, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, and then 20, verse 2, right before the Ten Commandments, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Right, God is is renewing his covenant with them, right, His, uh, his pledge to them. And what he does is he rehearses the history that he has with his people. And he says, look, remember who I am to you. I'm the God that saved you. I brought you out just because I love you. You didn't earn it. You didn't do anything for it. I brought you out because I love you. And I did it for free. And so I want you to see that he he gives the law in the context of that kind of grace. That the law comes after he has saved them out of Egypt. In other words, he doesn't come to them in Egypt and, and say, all right, look, I'm the Lord your God, and here's the deal. I've got ten very simple, very straightforward rules, and if you follow them and show me that you can, you know, obey, I'll take you out of here. I'll save you. That's not what he does. The law shows up in the context of God's grace. And look, I think you have to take from that. It has to point us in the direction that the law is good. It's for our good. It comes from a loving father. I heard about a story. Are you familiar with the Moth podcast? Where basically it's just a storytelling podcast. Amateurs get up and they tell stories about life and things like that. And I heard one uh, from a guy named Greg, and he was telling about his childhood. And it was a very sad, very powerful story. 
And the gist of it is that basically his parents got divorced when he was really young. And uh, at about the age of 12, he goes and he lives with his dad. And his dad is uh, not a good guy. And basically, he, let, he just basically grows up on his own. His dad doesn't care a thing in the world about what he does. And Greg is, he makes all his own decisions. He can do anything he wants to. His dad doesn't care. And uh, occasionally, uh, when he, he would get a ride home from school from a friend whose dad would pick him up. And so the dad would take them both home. And, you know, as they're riding in the car, you know, the dad would ask his son, you know, would say, like, well, hey, how about Tesco? Did you, did you do well on it? Do you have any homework? Um, how much homework do you have? And those sorts of things. And Greg said, you know, I would think to myself, how does this kid live like this? I mean, this, this is so oppressive. Like, do you, how much homework do you have? And just always, you know, seems to be, you know, all these constraints on him. Telling him, you know, you can't go out and play until you do your homework and those sorts of things. Um, and, it, yeah, he just thought it would be awful. And then uh, one night that friend asked him to spend the night with him. And so Greg goes and he spends the night with him. And all along the night he, you know, he sees what, uh, he sees a little bit more of that, right? Like, you know, hey, go wash your hands, go wash up, it's time for dinner, and those sorts of things. Um, but he said, he said his whole world changed that night at about 945. He said he and his friend are playing video games. And his dad opens the door, pokes his head in, and he says, hey, guys, uh, time to wind that down. Lights out in 15 minutes. Go brush your teeth. Time for bed. And Greg said he kind of thought the same thing, like, man, that's kind of odd. And so they turn it off, and they go in the bathroom. And he said for some reason it struck him that, that his friend has his own toothbrush, that his parents bought him his own toothbrush. And they actually had one for Greg. And he said that, that really struck him, like, wow, his parents care about him. His parents kind of care about me. And so they brush their teeth, and they go, and they, sit, uh, they go back into, you know, into the bedroom, and they're sitting on the bed, and Greg's just kind of reflecting about all this. And he says, he asks his friend, because uh, his dad comes in and says, like, hey, good night, you know, love you, uh, you know, lights out. And he says, does your dad do that every night? He says, yeah. He says, does he come in and tell you, like, hey, time to go to bed? He says, yeah. Every night? He says, yeah. And Greg said, at that moment, I just burst into tears. He just burst into tears because what he realized was that, well, let me back up. He said, can I stay with you tomorrow night? And his friend said, sure. And he actually ended up staying almost every night for the next three years. And when he uh, was reflecting on, on that, Greg said this. This is his quote. He said, their rules became my rules. Their punishments became my punishments. I realized as I grew older that that, that, that routine, their rules, there was value in it. There was love in it. Right? Greg got it. Right? It seemed like on the front end, like, I can do whatever I want. I'm free to do anything. And it would be so oppressive to have somebody over you and telling you this and that. And then he experienced a little of it, and he got it. He saw that the, that the, the law in that kid's life, it came from parents that loved him, that cared about him. 
and that, that they weren't just constraints for the sake of you know, constraining him. Go to bed at 10 just because. No, it was for his good. And look, that's the exact same thing. Uh, that same thing is true of God's law. Right? He's the good father that's brought salvation and his law is good. So how do we apply that? Look, right off the bat, I think that shows us something huge about how we understand God's law. Um, particularly, it helps us to understand our motivation to keep the law. Look, the design, God's design is that we keep, we keep the law out of love. The design is not that the law is to be kept, that you're supposed to do what God says out of uh, some sort of sense of fear or out of a sense of duty or of, of hope of reward or something like that. But the right design, what the, the law is designed to be kept out of love for who God is and what He's done for you because He is the loving Father Right? His, his, God's intention is not that you read your Bible and that you um, stop doing that sin and you start doing those good things um, or else he'll get you. Or so that you can avoid some sort of uh, punishment or what. His intention is that he wants you to want to read your Bible so that you can be, uh, so that you can be near him. To, uh, to do those things because they're, they're good. Because He loves us. So look, as we wind that down, I, just, I simply want you to see that the law is a good thing. And so now I want us to take a closer look at, at what's so good about the law. It's our second point. I want you to see that the law acts like a window. I have this broken down into two points, and we're probably not going to look at the second one, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, the first aspect of... Uh, the law acts like a window into God's character. Right? The law acts like a window that we can, we can look through and we can see God's character. Uh, it shows us what God, what God is like, who He is, what, what He likes. Um, yeah, that's one of the main reasons that He gives us His law, so He can reveal His character to us. You know, if you think about it, um, people's the rules that people have, they really reflect who they are. It, it reflects what they value. You can learn a lot about somebody from their, their rules, I guess you could say. Right? You've, you've probably got uh, this friend, or your family is the family, where when you go over to their house, um, they take their shoes off as soon as they walk in, and you know, they put their shoes by the door. And so you know that, uh, you know, at the very least, they probably value cleanliness. And so when you're there, it, I mean, look, in a very small way, it helps you know how to relate to these people, right? Uh, you know that it, not only at their house should you, you know, if you want to relate well to them, uh, you're going to take your shoes off, but you're also probably going to reach for a coaster and put your drink on a coaster when you're at their house. That, that, that probably would, would help you uh, fit in there. And so look, we've, we've already seen that God has made it clear that, that He saved His people and he, He's brought them out of slavery purely because He loves them. And now look, look in verse uh, 19.5. 
He says this, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. All right, so what, what does that mean? Um, I think it means a couple of things. There's a couple of senses in which we can take it. And we're going we're gonna to circle back around to this in a minute. Um, but, but look, I think what God is telling his people, look, because again, we've already established that he loves them. He's brought them out. Of, he saved them. And what he's telling them is, look, you are my treasured possession. And the way in which you can, you can most enjoy that relationship the way in which you can experience the fullness of being my treasured possession is by following my law. And so he reveals himself to his people by giving them his law. Uh, Basically saying, look, this is how to best relate to me. Uh, If you want to enjoy the fullness of being my treasured possession, here it is. Right? Uh, Look, I think... It might sound strange in that context, but think about it, right, in terms of, uh, terms of a marriage, right? Amy and I are married because, uh, almost exactly 15 years ago, we took vows to love each other and to cherish one another and, uh, you know, to, to not leave each other no matter what. Um, so at that moment, 15 years ago, we, in a sense, we are one another's treasured possession. That's just true. But obviously the reality of life is that, that we, could, we could go from there and live in such a way um, as, to, uh, as to experience the fullness of that reality and to enjoy the reality that we really are one another's treasured possession. Right? There are certain ways you can live to, to foster that. And the opposite is true. Well, there are ways that you could live to rob it of its joy. Um, as I get, you know, as I get to know Amy and, and learn who she is and her character, right? As, as I see what she values and learn who she is, right? I know how to act because I love her. I know how to act to best enjoy that relationship to its full, to its fullest. Like for example, if after we put the kids to bed, if uh, if I look at Amy and I said, all right, hey, I'll take the garbage out later or tomorrow, and then I go plop on the couch and I turn on some sort of scary, you know, like Walking Dead or something like that, um, we're still going to be married. But that's not the best way to love Amy. Because Amy values having things... Uh, Having things taken care of in the house, which is a great thing. Um, She values conversation. And so do I, by the way. I value these things. (laughs) For the record. um, And she doesn't like scary shows. So I could live like that every night. And basically everything about me says like, yeah, 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 I'm glad we're married and yeah, treasure you and all that. Um... But that's not really, I'm not, I'm not enjoying that relationship to the fullness. I'm not loving her well. And so look, in the law, God is giving us a window into his character. And he's showing us, look, this is, this is what I am like and this is what I like. This is who I am. So that we can know how to best love him back and enjoy that relationship. All right, so how do we apply that? 
couple of thoughts. Um, one, we don't really have time to explore this, but look, as, you, as, you, as we look into the law as it reveals his character, uh, what we see is that we see how great God really is, right? We see that as we look into the law, we see that he, he values things like fostering life and being faithful and truth um, and uh, those sorts of things, right? But I think mainly for us, it helps us to understand, I think, potentially some of our, and I guess I'll call it maybe spiritual dysfunction, and by that, I mean, look, if you're, if you're a Christian and you find yourself maybe feeling distant from God, is it possible, it just might be that you're feeling that distance because you're living your life um, in a way that's out of accord with what he says is the, is the best way to be near him, right? And now look, we've got to be really careful about this. Okay? You've got to be really careful about this lest we fall into the um, uh, basically saying, look, if you want to get God to love you, then do the right things. Because that's not what we're saying. But, so maybe think about it like this. What a gracious thing it is that God tells us, look, if you want to enjoy being my child to the fullest, then you need to, you need to work to get to get rid of things that compete for your affection. You need to take a day and rest and, and enjoy me. You need to treat other people in a certain way. You need to take me seriously and take my name seriously. Those sorts of things. So look, we see that the law is a window into God's character. Uh, the second aspect that I... I'm just going to mention real quickly and then we're going to move on, is that the law acts like a window into our humanity. The law acts like a window that we can look through and see what what it means to be fully human. What it looks like to to thrive as a human being. Right? The Bible tells us that... uh, that, we, that human beings are built in the image of God. So if, if the law reveals his character and what he's like, then in some sense, uh, it's going to show us what we're designed to be like. Right? You can think about it like the manual to your car. Um, you know, Honda made my car, and they made it. They know how it best operates, and they give you a manual, and they say, look, if you want to enjoy this car to the fullness, here you go. You should change the oil every three. It needs oil, and you need to change it every 3,000 miles. Now, you could look at that and say, like, that's dumb. I'm not doing that. But it's only going to cause problems because that's how it's built. Right? That's what God's law is. You've heard me say this. We think about it like a fence around an amusement park um, that God says, like, hey, this would be fun, wouldn't it? Can't go in here. That's not the picture. Right? It shows us that, that you and I are built to thrive. Whether, look, whether you're a Christian or not, no matter who you are, if you are a human being, you are designed to thrive. You will best thrive in relationship with God. Um, that sexuality is designed to be used in a certain way. And if you use it in a different way, it's going to be harmful to you. That the truth, uh, that we're supposed to use words in a certain way. We're supposed to value truth, those sorts of things. All right, I wish we had more time, but uh, we need to move on. Thirdly and finally, I want you to see that the law is a mirror. 
the law is a mirror. Um, look, if the law of God, if the law shows us what God is like, and in a sense it shows us what we're designed to be as humans, uh, then it, it also sort of acts, sort of the flip side of that is it acts like a mirror into which we can look and see what we really are like. All right, if that's what we're designed to be, then it's going to show us what we actually are like. Um, so it acts like a mirror in that sense, right? You know what it's like to you know, go in, maybe in a hotel where the light is a little better uh, or in a store and you get in a good mirror and you realize like, oh, okay, wow. <laughs> Must be dark in my bathroom. <laughs> right? Maybe that's just me. You get, the, you get the picture, right? It acts like a mirror and it shows us, shows us what we really look like. Uh, I think I've used this illustration, uh, which may even be better. I think I've used it before this year, but you know the teeth whitening commercial that talks about the tissue test, right? Uh, your teeth are, in theory, they're white, and you think they are. And it's basically the idea is you hold up a tissue, which is truly white, and against the white, you know, real whiteness, you see that your teeth are actually not quite as white as you thought, right? It reveals your teeth for what they really are. And I as I was thinking about that, I thought, like, wait, that's a better illustration, but, you know, maybe I need to nix that for the, you know, mirror. But then I realized, like, to do that, you have to use a mirror, so I get to keep them both. All right. Some of you will get that on the way home. Um, yeah, you see, you see how, as you look into the law, so to speak, it shows us what we're really like. So what did the Israelites see when they, so to speak, looked in the mirror? I want you to notice, this is fascinating. Notice what happened uh, in 19.2. It says they are encamped before the mountain. So they're right there at the foot, uh, at the base of Mount Sinai. Um, let's see, where did it go? Uh, all right, they're encamped before the mountain. And then God says, you need to keep all of my commandments. And Israel looks and says, we can do it. We'll do whatever you say. We're in. We can do that. We can keep the law. And then God shows up on this mountain. He shows up in fire, lightning, thunder, um, thick darkness, smoke. And it's this, it's this physical manifestation of his holiness. And he, and he reveals himself physically in that way. And then he reveals the law to them. And then what happens? Did you notice? Uh, let's see, where is it? In 2018... So after seeing his holiness, hearing the law, 2018, they were terrified. They ran away and they stood a long way off. And they basically look at Moses and they, they say, please don't let him speak to us. You speak to us. Right? They saw, they saw themselves. They went from thinking, we can keep this law. And then they saw God in his holiness and they looked into the law and they saw who they really were. And it exposed them. They saw how ugly, their, dirty their faces were, so to speak. And look, I want you to see that that's what the, the law is supposed to do that. And it's actually, it's actually a very good thing that the law does that. It's supposed to show us ourselves and knock out of us any sense in which we think we can keep it. I can do that. It's supposed to expose our utter helplessness. That we have no chance of keeping it. 
One theologian said, uh, and that's basically when you know a quote and you don't know where to find it, you just say, one theologian says, uh, the law was not meant to wound you. It was meant to kill you. The law is not designed to come in your life and say, like, hey, you're not, quite as, you know, you're not quite as good as you think you are. The law is meant to come in and utterly devastate you and show you that you are terrible. Because God does require perfection. Right? We said we'd come back around to this, and here we are, right? This is what the law is designed to do. And so in some sense, we don't have to dance around the reality of 19.5 of uh, the seeming like conditional of if you do this, you will be my treasured possession. Because look, God does require absolute perfection. But the good news is that God always provides what he requires. Look, if you take an honest look at at the law and at your life, it will expose you. And it'll break you to see that you have no hope of keeping it. But, but that's the point. Look at, look at what you, we get a little hint of it here with the Israelites. Um, we see the grace here. Uh, look at 2021. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Right? And just before that, they said, look, you go for us. Right? Israel, it, they're exposed, but they have a mediator. They have somebody that will go and represent, represent them to God. And so there's this, like it would be awesome to see it in a movie, right? You've got like a million people and Moses by himself talking to them. And in the very distant background, like, you know, bunch of flat desert, very distant background, you have Mount Sinai and like thick darkness and, and smoke and just all this craziness way in the distance. And he talks to them and they say, uh-uh, uh-uh, we can't, you go. And Moses turns and he starts walking, heading straight into that, that thick darkness. He's the mediator. And look, the New Testament, we're going to end with this. We've got to wind it up quick. The New Testament, particularly Hebrews, Hebrews 3, Hebrews 9, tells us that we have an even better mediator than Moses, and that's Jesus Christ. That God provides a mediator. He provides Jesus Christ. He comes and He lives a perfect life. Right? He says, I come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And He does that to do it in our place. Because He does require perfection. So He comes and He keeps the law perfectly for us. And then He dies this horrible death in our place. So that our breaking of the law and all all the, the wrath that we deserve is taken out on Him. And so, look, it means that you can actually let the law into your life and take an honest look and say, yeah, that is true. I am not faithful. I don't, I am not truthful. I am sexually broken. I don't love God like I should. I don't love other people like I should. You can do that because it's, It's designed to drive us to Jesus. Right? When we fall short, here's what we tend to do, and I'm I'm going to end it with this. What we tend to do so often is we tend to let the law drive us to the law. When we see, you know, when we mess up, we say like, all right, we go back and we say, all right, I've got to do better. God says, don't do that. 
And so that would be as ridiculous. Take our metaphor, right? You look in the mirror and you see that your face is really dirty. And so you take the mirror and you try to rub the dirt off your face with the mirror. That would be ridiculous, right? The mirror is not designed to do that. The mirror is designed to show you the dirt and drive you to soap and water. Drive you to something else to clean you. Let the law point you to Jesus. And I hope what you see is that that will actually drive you right back to where we started. Right? Because if the law breaks you and says you have no hope but Jesus, you have every hope. Because, and God says, I've done it for you. I've saved you. Then you're going you're gonna to love him. You're going you're gonna to be grateful to him. And it drives you right back to the law. Right? How do I express that gratitude? How do I live like he wants me to live? Here's the law. And that's going to break you. And let that drive you to Jesus. And, and enjoy his forgiveness. And that's going to drive you right back. You see this upward spiral. Always pointing us to Jesus. And we have to end there. Sorry I've gone long. But look, that's an invitation to you. Jesus offers himself to you. Let me pray. Jesus, we, uh, we thank you that you would love us in such a way as to give yourself for us. Uh, Father, help us to understand your law. Uh, that it drives us to you, uh, that it's good for us. Um, Help us to understand it rightly, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.